The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Like I said earlier, it's Christmas time. I hope uh, that you are preparing your hearts for that. And that when you hear me say, hey, it's Christmas time, your thoughts didn't immediately go to, yeah, I, meant I tried to get out on Black Friday, which is now bled into Thursday, which is now pre-Black Friday sales on uh, Wednesday, which turns into local Saturday and Cyber Monday and whatever Tuesday brings. Uh, and the numbers are staggering with the billions of dollars, billions, that were spent Friday alone. It is unbelievable. And so when we think Christmas, we think, i got to go shop. When I think Christmas, maybe it's because uh, of just having to get ready for so much at church. I think, how are we going to present Christ in a way that makes any difference whatsoever in the minds of a Western American who is so consumed with life here that we've forgotten what it means to be in relationship with Christ. That the God of the universe penetrated into time and space, took on human flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, His kavod, the heaviness and weightiness of who He is, came and dwelt among us. And the angelic beings must have been aghast at the idea from all eternity that the God who they have to cover their eyes in His presence was now this Christ going to come down into Palestine, into Israel, into poverty even more, and live there to redeem and to save a people who rejected Him and would reject Him, but yet He came anyway to save those for whom He would call to Himself. That is an amazing truth. That is the amazing witness of Christmas and Advent. And that's why we come today and we begin this new series. This picture of chapters, if you would, or scenes of the Gospel story, of the biblical story, if you want to use the big part, the meta-narrative, the big story about. Every week we go through it within worship. We say we're going to celebrate God's creation. That God created all things for His pleasure through the person of Jesus Christ. And we come and we worship Him. But then we come and we wrestle with our fallenness. We wrestle with the fact that creation was lost. That Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, chose uh, to not follow the king, to go out on their own, to self-rule, and creation was lost. And humanity has suffered in that lost creation. But there was always the hope of one who would come, Christ. Those in the Old Testament looking forward to His coming. Those of us now, New Testament and beyond, looking back that He has already come and would come again one day. And that we would experience a recreation. That we are recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. That we are new creations in Him. And then one day, we look forward to everything being made right and new. I was thinking about it this week and considering those saints who've gone before us are not currently experiencing the new creation in all of its fullness. You recognize that, right? They don't have their new bodies yet. They aren't dwelling on the new heaven and new earth yet. It says that when Christ returns in His second advent, that the earth will give up its dead. 
and that those who have died in Christ will gain new bodies in Him, and that those who are still alive will be raised with Him and recreated by Him at that moment, and that we will all dwell in a new heaven and a new earth. So even the saints who are in heaven now, our loved ones, many of them, are still waiting expectantly like we are. They've just got a little bit closer to Christ than we are right now. But they're looking for a better day, just like we are. And so there's this story that informs all of our lives. And this story begins with creation. And you may think it a stretch to bring Advent and creation together. But the Scripture that you heard from Colossians brings it right in front of us. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created. And the text that we have now to read together from John's Gospel. The loving and faithful pastor the beloved of Christ who reclined at his chest, John, wrote these words that we read today. Let's ask God's blessing. Father, bless now the reading and the hearing of your word, that it would be unlike any reading and hearing of any earthly book, but that we would hear your voice, that by your Spirit you would bring these words alive to us, and that we would be convicted, challenged, and forever changed that our God still speaks, and that we, your people, listen. To you be all glory. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from the fullness we, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses; grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Amen. And so we come, and we're going to spend a few moments together this morning considering Jesus. Considering maybe some different aspects of what does it mean that Christ, the one who came in infant form, in human form, who took the likeness of men and was born in Bethlehem so many years ago, who grew and then who was persecuted and died but was raised from the dead and has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father waiting to come back, waiting for His Father to say to Him, now, 
waiting for that day and that moment. We're going to consider him a bit today. You see, we don't do a very good job of considering things. I was riding on an elevator from our little room in our hotel every morning, every afternoon, a couple of times during the middle of the day, up and down, third floor, room 1303. I was kidding with one of my sons as we were packing up and leaving. I said, who's the maker of the elevator? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you've been getting in this elevator several times a day and standing and doing elevator stairs, which is you just stare blankly straight ahead and you look for something other than a person to stare at, especially when there's a stranger in the elevator. And so you've been staring at the wall. Who made the elevator? Because I have no idea. Well, here's one for you. You're sitting next to someone, probably your spouse or a family member. What color shoes are they wearing? Anybody know? Thiasson Krupp is the name of the elevator company because I stared at it every day for three days. And there's four floors, and we would get off on the third floor, but there was also a basement, and we would be there. And it was a wood floor, and my wife's wearing brown shoes, and she has a necklace on that's got this little freaky thing, kind of weird little thing down there. And I can't see her feet from here, but it's observing. It's beholding. It's considering and knowing what's going on around you. For later, John in chapter 1, the Baptist, that is, said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is coming of whom I am not even worthy to carry His sandals. Behold Him. Consider Him. Stare at Him so much that you are like a parent, like a mother who knows her child so much that she knows how many cowlicks they have in their hair. That they have a dimple on the left side and not the right side. How many freckles they have on their right arm. That smell that a child has, not in the gross way, but the smell that you know it's your child. Of a presence that's missed when that child is out of the home. There's a beholding. There's a love that, that a husband and a wife have for one another. And that the husband, I have the best seat in the house when I do weddings because I stand next to the groom and the groom is beholding his bride, watching every step that she's making as she comes down the aisle. He's taking in everything about her and remembering that moment to savor it for years and years to come. John says, behold your God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold Christ. See Him and know Him so well that you don't just get in the elevator which we'll call church today. And you come and you do your church stare. And you say just enough to the people around you so as not to look rude. And you know the verses that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whomsoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can name all 66 books of the Bible in order. uh, That you can do these things that you've got a certain knowledge but you don't know Him. When someone comes to you and says, tell me about this Christ, this one that you have pledged your life and allegiance to. Tell me about Him. 
Tell me who he is. Tell me everything about him. Why do you find him beautiful? Why do you find him worthy of all praise? Why do you find him as the meaning and purpose of your life? Why would you be willing to die for this Christ? Why would you be willing to be faithful to your spouse? Why would you be willing to faithfully love your children? Why would you be willing to give money away to a church? Why would you be willing to serve the needs of other people over and against your own needs? Tell me about this Christ who has so impacted your life that it's changed you. You're not the same person that I once knew. There's something intrinsically different about you. Tell me about it. Do you have an answer? Have you beheld Him and stared at Him and read and consumed Him in His Word and gone out on the beach not just to catch the sunrise, but to be amazed by the Creator who makes the sun even come up? And you look at the full moon as it goes up and moves and goes down over the marsh and you're amazed at the intricacies of a God who knows every single star by name. You pick up a handful of sand and goes, he knows how many? The renourishment project didn't throw him off. He knows. And we're overwhelmed. And so we're coming in this Advent season. And I want us to look at a few things about this Christ. This one, this beloved one, beheld one. And the first thing we're going to look at is how his relationship to creation answers certain things for us. We don't have time to do it justice today, but I want you to be thinking about these things. You see, I'm not here to do an apologetic against the theory of evolution, but I am here to say this. The outcome of the belief in evolutionary theory is a vacating of the human soul, of certain things that are essential for the soul. This idea uh, that evolutionary theory uh, is what will bring us purpose and meaning, actually the very opposite happens. That evolutionary theory and the attack against God's creation, against the truth of God's creation, and the created order, steals meaning from humanity. That life has no meaning without Christ being the Creator. Evolutionary theory steals from us our sense and our knowledge of origin, of place, of where we're from, who we belong to, who we, who we look like. It steals our soul uh, of meaning and it steals our soul of place and of origin. And it hollows us out of hope. It takes and scoops right out uh, of the middle of us hope. And so today, what we're going to look at, oh, so very briefly, is how Christ's advent addresses our need for meaning, for place, and for hope. Christ's advent addresses our need for meaning, for place, and for hope. And the first is this need for meaning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos became, was God. 
The word logos is our equivalent for philosophy. That's where we get logic and philosophy. This idea of true meaning. And John chose that word incredibly articulately and specifically to say to the thought process of the day that for, for generations, the people have been searching for meaning. And what John came and said was this, do you want to find meaning? Do you want to find purpose? Then you find purpose in the One who created all things, the Lagos, the logic of all things. That He came and He said this, He said that Christ becoming flesh has a point. It has a meaning. And the primary meaning is that it brings meaning to all of life. What's the rationale for life? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Do I have any meaning at all? And you may think, I, don't, I hated Philosophy 101 and I still hate it. Well, this isn't Philosophy 101. Let's just go to New York Times bestseller list 101. The most sold Christian book was a book about meaning. And it was a book that said What's, it's a purpose-driven life. And you know who the consumers of that book were? Not non-Christians primarily, but Christians in church. Because what that says is this, most people in church are still asking the primary question of what's the meaning of it all? What's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of any of this? And Christ coming as the Logos, the true meaning of life, comes in and He gives life purpose. An illustration would be go to a third world country and hand someone a Keurig. And go, here you go. They would stare at it and go, what in the world is this thing? And they would turn it upside down and they would lift it up and they would try to fill it with water and go, what am I supposed to do with this? And there's buttons and there's lights and gizmos and then there's these little plastic things that go in and what am I supposed to do and wait? Because they're looking and asking, what's the purpose of this thing? What's its intent? Everything has a purpose and a meaning. Humanity is asking the same thing. The Greek philosophers were asking, what is the purpose of life? And if we can find Lagos, if we can find the Lagos of life, then we'll be happy, contented, and fulfilled. If we can just find the Lagos. And John comes in and he says, you can. You can. You see, the Stoics said this, you can't find the Lagos. There is no meaning to life. And so as you face meaninglessness, at least do it with dignity. Stoics were very Presbyterian. We're just going to be orderly. And we're going to keep our emotions in check. And we're going to be kind. And we're going to live. Uh, but the reality is this. There still is no meaning. And their little brothers, the Epicureans, the younger uh, ones there in the house, came and said, okay, I'll concede there's no meaning. But in the midst and facing no meaning and meaninglessness, we're going to have fun. We're going to eat, we're going to drink, and we're going to be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. Stoics and Epicureans had the same question and they came to the same result. There is no meaning in life. And John enters in and he says, oh, wait a second. 
There is meaning. There is an ideal. There is a perfection. There is a hope that's out there. There is something there. And guess what happened at Advent? Guess what happened in the Incarnation? As one uh, writer put it, God punched a hole right through all philosophical thought. And he said, not only is it available, but it is attainable. That God now penetrated into human being and gave it meaning that Christ came This was revolutionary thought. And folks, it's still revolutionary thought today. If you don't think so, go talk to the world around us who's asking for meaning and significance. Who's trying to find it in every way, shape, and form. There is meaning in life. And the logos is what John was saying was this. The logos is not a principle to be attained or learned. It is a person to be known and worshipped. How earth-shattering was that? That this isn't just a philosophical end. This isn't just a discussion for up for debate. It is a person that you will now have to deal with on human terms. What an amazing truth. This ideal, this ideal world out at Christmas has become real you see the first blessing that we see here is that it gives us meaning and you're probably thinking bill this is this is abstract this is way abstract let me put it to you a little less abstract is the logos your meaning because if the logos is your logos. If you've said it and said, this is now the meaning of my life, then it orients everything about your life. It so cataclysmically affects you that now you're saying, I'm not coming to God, I'm not coming to Christ, only when my plans are messed up and I need Him to fix them. Many people do that. And some of you may be here today, and I'm glad you're here, but if you're coming, saying, God, my life and my plans are messed up and I need you to fix them, guess what the logos of your life is? It's your plan. Because you need your plan fixed, and your plan is what gives you meaning and significance and value in the world, not the logos. Christ is saying this, I take up center stage. I inform everything about you. I'm the one who's at the very heart. I'm the one who drives and colors and fills in all of your life. Does that make sense? I don't know. I can't give you a to-do list on how to make that happen, how to move Christ in, but it's to say this, Christ, I want to know you and behold you so much that my life is changed. And so that whatever happens within my life, I know this, you get the glory. You get the honor. And that I do things that seem weird to a world around me. And I don't come to you with my list. I just come to you. So the first thing that Christ brings to us as this agent of creation, as this one born uh, of all of creation, is meaning, is logos. The second thing that he addresses by his coming is this. He addresses our place, our need for origin. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything that was made has been made. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, for the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
It's amazing. There is a multi, multi, multi-million dollar industry called Ancestry.com, whothehecamI.com, findmyfamily.com, I need to know where I came from.com, all of this. And we're fascinated on this. And millions and millions of dollars are spent. Why? People want to know their place. They want to know where they're from. What's an orphan's wildest dream? To know their parents. If you're adopted, one of those dreams and hopes that you have deep down, even as much as you love your adopted family, is that hope of wondering about your birth parents. That thinking, if I can just meet them, if I can just know them, then I'm going to know something more about myself. John was writing and saying this, Christ's advent gives you a place and an origin. For he says this, all of creation was made through him. And you can almost hear the congregation when he says, Christ is the Lord and the agent of all things. All things were created through him. And you can imagine somebody must have been sitting around and going, all things? And he said, all things. And they went, all things? He said, yes, all things. In heaven and on earth. Wow, all things? Yes, visible and invisible. Really? What about thrones? Thrones, dominions, authorities, all things. What do you think John's trying to communicate? All things. And then if you take that logical stream out a little bit and you run with it just a little ways and you go, okay, he created all things. He created all things visible and invisible. Thrones, authority, space, everything like this. Okay, and I'm worried, I'm wondering about me and that I don't know. I'm a product of an adopted mother who doesn't know who her birth parents were. She was adopted privately and she has no idea. So I don't know one generation beyond my mother's side. I have no idea. My father's side, I'm... I'm McCutcheon, I'm Scottish. My mother was adopted by Mackenzie, but we, don't, we think she was Eastern European, but we're not sure. And so I could wrestle with this identity issue, or I could just go, he created all things, and he did this, and he did this, and he just, oh, that means he created me. And if he created me, imago dei, in the image of God, because he was the image of God, then that means I bear the image of God, and my life has value. My life has meaning. My life has significance. I don't need to know my grandparents. It would be nice if I did, but I don't need to know, especially if they're Rockefellers, it would be wonderful. But I don't have to because I know this much. I know my elder brother and I know my father and I know that I'm not some collaboration of ooze that came in and stole me of an origin, of stole from me a place to say, this is who Bill McCutcheon is. I bear the image and the semblance of my father with dignity and with pride. And what I know about that is this. I can then speak to you and I can say this to you. I don't know your background, but I know who created you. And you bear his image of goodness and of dignity and of value. You bear His image. You are of worth. Don't you ever let this world tell you that you're not. That's Christ who came as the agent of creation. And He says through His advent, I am the firstborn and that I have now made you and that you bear the image of the One whose image I bear. Imago Dei. That's why we care about life. 
That's why for a Christian, we care about an unborn life and an old life. We, we care about all life. That's why for a Christian, we don't care about skin color. Because we recognize that black, white, whatever color, we are made in the image of our God. And therefore, the only difference is just tonal. But we're in the image of our God. Do you see how this could have changed the course of history if the church had actually gotten that right? If they'd actually believed Imago Dei in the 1800s in the South and in England and in all the centuries that go before it. It matters. And it gives you a place. It gives you an origin. It gives you a home. It gives you a home. Some of you are returning from Thanksgiving longing for your true home. Not because your families are horrible. Maybe they are. I mean that seriously. Some of you have, have such pain in your families. And to have to go back and sit around the table of an abuser. To go sit around the table of a, of a person who told you you would amount to nothing for the rest of your life. And to have to sit there uh, and to be around that table. And what it draws within you is this. I just want a home. And what Christ is saying, what John is saying is you have one. You have a family. And if your family of origin here isn't all that great, guess what? This is your family now. We are a family together, me and you. And we're adopted one to one another. And that means we love one another really well. And that we speak words of life to one another. And we, we live in community together as a foretaste of true home. That's what every week should be here. I love church. Not because I have to be here, because it is a foretaste of what home is going to be like. That's a good thing, huh? And then the final thing, we've got to rush on it, is this. Christ to Advent, it brings about meaning. It addresses the issue of meaning. It addresses the issue of place or of origin. And the final thing, it's not exhaustive, but the final thing today we'll look at is that Christ's advent addresses our need for hope. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He's now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him that is the Father. Did you do the mirror test this morning? You woke up, you walked into the, ki into the kitchen, into the bathroom, and you're in there in front of your big mirror, and you said, good morning, holy, blameless, above reproach, loved by God, child of God, good morning. Anybody? No, of course not. Because you don't believe that. You don't believe it. And neither do I. I believe what the fall has to say about me. Didn't need that pecan pie? It's over here. Didn't need this? I joked with my boys. They're like, Dad, what size belt do you have? And I'm like, I'm a 36 red line. 
They're like, really? You look more like a 38. I'm like, no, I'm a 36 red line. I take off my pants, and there's a red line that goes right around in the middle because I'm getting in 36s. And I define myself by that. And I look, and then God has the audacity to call me loved and above reproach and holy and blameless and an heir and a child and a daughter and a son. Friend. And you know why he gets to say that? And I have to believe it. He's at the top of the food chain. It says that he is the light that came into the darkness and the light tried to overtake him and it could not. And that whatever he speaks, if he is able to speak to nothing and bring it into existence all that we know, then he is able to speak to my dead heart and turn it into a live heart and take this orphan and make him a son to take an alien and make him a family member, to take one who was lost and now he's found, who was dead and now he's alive, who had no hope and now he has hope. And if the God of the universe who spoke all things into being says that about me, guess what? It's true. And I need to believe it. And I need to keep saying to that image in the mirror, don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. You're not horrible. You're not terrible. You are worthy of a price. And the price is Christ. And if you're here today and you've never heard that, I want you to hear it and I want you to consider it. You are worthy of the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And what you have to do is respond and simply say, I believe. Not I have to do more, but I believe. Don't leave here without that hope today. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. O come, O come, Emmanuel. God with us. Christ answers our meaningless. He gives us a place and He gives us a hope. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Christ. I pray that we would behold Him today. That we would consider Him. Stare at Him. And then, oh, when we see Him, the amazing miracle that when we find Him and He, though, finds us, we see ourselves in Him as we truly are with incredible meaning and significance in this world, with a family and a hope and an origin that goes into eternity itself, with a future and a past that is redeemed and a future that is secure we have hope that because he said it, it's going to come to pass and has come to pass. In the meantime, would we live faithful? But our prayer to you is this. Oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Come back again. In Christ's name, amen.